Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Three, four, one, two, three, four. That's Ron Blake. He's a jazz saxophonist and improvisation professor at Juilliard. He's also been a member of the Saturday Night Live band for the last 17 years. So here, you know, it's like imitation, then conversation. Today, he's taking us behind the curtain and sharing his approach to improvisation. I'm listening to the bass and just trying to play something that sounds like a story. We started by having him listen to an existing piece of music, and he responded by coming up with his own solo on the spot. Then this part here, I'm expanding upon an improvisational idea, more or less. Grab the melody. I feel that the integration, cooperation, you know, the conversation that's happening on the bandstand, if that is in some way reflected in your solo, then the listener gets a little bit more in tune to what we're listening to, as opposed to just playing a lot of hot licks. Ultimately, the creative improv process asks, what happens when we free ourselves from expectation and constraint? How do we let go of the fear of the unknown? You just have to go out there and just jump off the cliff sometimes, or all the time, preferably. You might remember last season, we discovered all the good things that learning an instrument can do for our brains. Well, today, we're going to talk about what happens in a musician's brain when they're thinking on the fly. How can a jazz performer like Ron hear a melody and instantly create something new? And even beyond music, we'll explore what happens in all of our brains when we feel that spark of creativity, of something bubbling up deep inside that just has to come out. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and it's time to start chasing life. If I kind of think back on my life, music was the great teacher for me. Always. It's always the music. That's Charles Lim. As you can tell, one of his great passions in life is music. He's also an ear, nose, and throat surgeon and a professor at the University of California, San Francisco. I first met Dr. Lim for an interesting story a decade ago at the National Institutes of Health. We were exploring the brains of jazz musicians and freestyle rappers as they were getting a functional MRI in his lab. So you just came up with that? Yeah. That's why it was so bad. Yeah. No, it was good. It was really good. <laughs> we recently reconnected a few weeks ago. So, you know, my background is somebody who is kind of a lifelong musician who never became a musician. And so I think when I was younger, I was 
so absorbed by music and so deeply immersed in it, but I, I never felt like I had the conviction to become a professional musician or I didn't feel that I had the talent. And as I kind of got drawn into a career in medicine, I somehow kept finding my way back to sound and hearing and music. So I became a hearing specialist. And then as an otolaryngologist, I think one of the kind of notable things to me was how little we actually knew about music. And so in my medical career, I just started asking questions about music and wanting to learn techniques to allow me to answer these questions. And so before you knew it, I was doing functional brain studies of musicians and um, really trying to understand the science of hearing, not just sound, but hearing music in particular, and then treating a lot of musicians in the clinic, doing a lot of hearing restoration surgery because I'm a cochlear implant specialist and trying to figure out how to get somebody who's deaf to hear music again. You know, it's interesting. I, I remember thinking after we last met that I do know many surgeons who, who also play music. I guess I'm, I'm sort of trying to find the inflection point for you between music slash creativity and your work in, in science and medicine. One of the kind of amazing things for me when I was learning surgery was how similar it felt to me to learning how to play an instrument. And I realized that there's this kind of immersion that takes place in the mundane, physical, ergonomic, mechanical details that are necessary in order to play an instrument well that become very fascinating to a musician, right? And so to me, what's kind of fascinating about the concept of taking this kind of didactic procedural knowledge and then using it for something that's non-didactic or non-procedural like spontaneous creativity, there's a, a natural um, union between the two because you, you need to actually have gained and acquired the sort of facility and skill from the training, from the practice, in order to actually be able to do things that are unplanned. How do you define creativity? I have felt that some of our greatest advancements come when people are, are able to, to create novel thoughts, right? Things that you're not just perfecting what already exists, you're actually trying to create new avenues of thought. I don't get stuck on definitions, but if I had to define creativity, it would be exactly what you said, the generation of something novel. Now, people will often put a sort of contextual requirement on it that it has to be kind of relevant and useful. But to me, that is not the root of creativity. I think children can be highly creative. You know, a child who's doodling can be massively creative, even if what they're doing isn't a masterpiece. For them and for their brain, it's a creative output. It's also worth pointing out that improvisation is not random. And so the reason why there must be some sort of skill or practice involved is because it's actually, it's, it's intentional, even if it's not controlled. It's, it's not the same as just generating randomness as a form of novelty. It's actually purposeful, intentional, and also very individualized. You know, one person, one jazz person's solo is, it's kind of their unique musical voice. And typically you can hear the identity. And that's why comedians and rappers and, and um, jazz musicians, they all have a certain style that is theirs. It's like when, I, when you reach a certain level, um, you have a version of this that is sort of uniquely yours. So do you sort of think about that, that, that point? Like the guy who's improving all of a sudden in the middle of a, of, a, of a jazz number, they've obviously heard what the person just before them gave to them. But now they're drawing on all their other experiences to create something, or is it truly novel? I think it's always based on who you are, where you've been. It's sort of the distillation of your life experience, your musical experience, and even that how you are that day and in that moment that affects 
what you play. Now, I guess the real question is, have you played what you just played before? <laughs> now, everybody has sort of tendencies, right? So like musicians have tendencies, licks that they've learned, scales that they tend to prefer, or, you know, uh, musicians that they've been influenced by that sort of um, will cause them to tend to play in certain areas. That doesn't make it any less novel. Yeah. I know there's times when I've listened to certain musicians um, in that setting, you know, where they're not playing a, a known number, and I've walked away thinking, I did not expect that. I did not expect yeah. that from this person. And it just gave me uh, a sense of their breath, but it felt new. Yeah. To me, certainly, and maybe to them. I think that's, you know, when, when jazz is at its best. Um, so Nat Hentoff had uh, described jazz as the sound of surprise. And I, I love mm-hmm. that description because it's exactly kind of how you experience it as a listener. You're like, you do exactly what you just said. You say, wow, what was that? Where did that come from? And, you, and you're really like, it's, it's such a moment of, it's like an epiphany for everyone that was there at the same time. You think, wow, like, like did you hear that? And um, so I, I, for me, um, it's one of the reasons why live jazz is always the way I want to hear jazz because I know it's being, it's never going to be generated like that ever again. And it was just this kind of like moment in time that happened to, you You happen to have the privilege of, of witnessing. What is happening in the brain? I mean, this has been an area of study for you. And maybe you could talk a little bit about how you even sort of approached uh, understanding what's happening in the brain when people are creating, when they're creative, you know, when they're creating something new. So when I was learning functional brain imaging at the National Institutes of Health, I was kind of left to my own devices. So I was, you know, in this um, sort of like research lab with no windows. I had access to a brain scanner and I I didn't have a lot of oversight into what I was doing. Um, And I was studying auditory language processes. And as a jazz musician, I knew right away, just intuitively, that something's different when you play something memorized and when you play something improvised. And so for anybody that's listening and and has has played any um, music, you know that you're in a certain sort of frame of mind, a mental state when you're playing something that you've memorized. And you also know that when you're just playing off the cuff, that it's a really different mental state. And so as a sort of struggling amateur jazz musician, I wanted to understand that process um, using the sort of neurobiologic methods that I had access to. And so I realized that functional MRI, like the scanner is agnostic to what you're doing in there. Like, you know, you're just scanning mm-hmm. the brain. Your body could be doing anything um, as long as your head is moving. And so suddenly I felt very free um, in my thinking. I thought, well, how can we actually sort of subvert this technique and somehow use it to study jazz? And then I st- started thinking about, well, what is the most basic thing that a jazz musician really does that is a good representation of their, their output? And it's playing the blues. And so, you know, one of the most basic things for a jazz musician is to play the 12-bar blues. So I set that up as the experiment where musicians would come and they would memorize a novel piece of music that I had written for them. Mm-hmm. And they would play that on, an, on a piano keyboard that took me two years to make that would work inside the fMRI scanner. Wow, yeah. And so they would lie down in the scanner playing this memorized piece of music with this backing track. And then at other times, they would jam on the blues to the same backing track. And suddenly, we had a, just using jazz itself, we had a really nice control experimental condition set up to allow us to sort of compare brain activity between these two conditions. And so that's kind of how we started um, delving into this topic of what happens in the brain when a musician is doing what they do. And if I had to summarize years of data down into sort of, you know, a couple of sentences here, probably the most interesting or signature finding 
is that when an expert musician starts improvising, they start turning off conscious control mechanisms in the prefrontal cortex. So they're basically, there's a huge inhibition of these conscious control areas lead to that are involved in self-monitoring and planning and effortful planning. They're basically turning off the sensor, the self-sensor, to allow the unimpeded flow of novel ideas. I I, I love that. I mean, this uh, you, you so turning off inhibition in a way. Now, on one hand, you think about these areas of the brain that are being turned off as absolutely necessary for your ability to execute things, to to use good judgment, um, things like that. But in order to to actually be creative or to create novel things here, you have to sort of turn that off. Exactly. And not everybody yeah. can do it. I think you have to have a certain comfort level to, of relaxation to dismiss. I mean, there's risk-taking involved, right? And so, like, for example, you could imagine if you or I had to go on stage and do comedic improvisation, we'd feel maybe <laughs> terrified because you're like, this is not what I do. And suddenly you feel very exposed, very vulnerable, very at risk. And so that risk is, I think, ref- a reflection of inability to let go of conscious uh, self-monitoring. And so the seasoned jazz player, I think, does that naturally and, quote, effortlessly because of the years of practice. Do you find that there's other areas of the brain that change as well? So if, if, you're, if you're inhibiting, you know, these areas that may be sort of preventing you from being vulnerable, preventing you from, from just, you know, freestyling, are you activating other areas at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. So the other thing is that if you have an interactive form of improvisation. So, you know, a lot of musicians in jazz will play uh, sort of a sort of, um, back and forth. There's like a call and answer thing called trading fours that they do where they're essentially having a musical conversation without using words. And if you look at the brain activity during that musical conversation, they are using language areas of the brain to enact this musical improvised conversations without the involvement of semantic portions of the brain involved, like the, the angular gyrus, for example, that gives you semantic cognition that's deactivated during this musical conversation. So we're seeing a ton of sort of complexity to the neural networks that are involved in these forms of things. And I would be the first to tell you, it's not, it's not a simple story. There's a lot of factors and cofactors involved, as there should be, because music is so rich. It's like there's a reason it's stood the test of time in all cultures and all histories, because it can mean any number of things to to everyone. And so you can use science to understand creativity. You're not going to describe all of it right away, but you can start just to look beneath the surface and start to see what's there. Improvisation isn't just for trained musicians. Dr. Lim said it's part of our everyday lives. Think about driving a car. The first time you drive a car, it took so much effort, right? You're thinking about traffic rules, every turn you make, every shift of the gear... But eventually, after years of doing it, it's almost relaxing. You can turn your active thought process sort of off and trust your instinctive response. Something happens along the way in that acquisition of knowledge that it gives you the ability to enter a flow state. And I think a lot of creativity in music at this kind of upper level is about how well you can enter a flow state where the rest of the world sort of dissolves and melts away and you're left with just you and your musical thoughts. That flow state, which I think a lot of people who are listening may sort of, sort of intuitively get, maybe they've, they've been in that flow state in, in different ways in their lives. I'm a very amateur musician, um, but, but I enjoy it. Uh, and, and I like to go just, you know, play the piano. You know, sometimes I will learn pieces of music, 
but I will riff a little bit or give my own spins on those those pieces of music. Oftentimes I'm by myself or I'm playing for my daughters. That's it. Nothing nothing very public. But it feels good. You know, it just it feel, I get I get joy out of it. Is is that is is there a connection between just, you know, I guess mental health and the idea of practicing improvisation? Music as a kind of form of helping our well-being. Um, the sort of therapeutic aspects of music is very, very much um, a powerful thing that is still untapped and I think remains to be understood scientifically in a much more profound way. And so mm -hmm. just as, as just as somebody who loves music and never picks up an instrument ever in their life but only gets to hear it, that alone is a really robust stimulus for the brain. So anytime I put someone in the brain skin and I have them listen to music, like the entire brain is lighting up, essentially. I mean, you know, all different kinds of sensory modalities are lighting up emotional areas, cerebellar areas. I mean, it's a robust stimulus for the brain. And who hasn't been comforted by listening to music in their life, right? I mean, I think that you people understand because music is best at one thing. It's best at conveying emotion. It's much better at language at doing that. It's not nearly as good at conveying specific propositional thought the way language is. So when you when we, this whole idea of music as a universal language, it's it's limited in what it can do language-wise, but incredibly good at conveying emotion. And so as a result of that ability for it to convey emotion, I think it um, it improves our empathy, it improves our ability to not feel alone, and I think can help heal us in ways that a, a very fractured globe right now could really benefit from. That's beautiful, uh, Charles. I, I mean, I totally get what you're saying. I mean, there's times when I have um, looked to music as well, um, you know, to, to, to give me some comfort, you know, in, in either when I was being challenged or also to give me focus and inspiration at other times as well. Do, do, you, do you feel like, again, your two worlds of, of music and medicine, music and surgery, are you a better surgeon, do you think, because of your musical background? You know, I, I hope I am, but, but I, th I think if there's a reason for that, I think it's because music is forcing me to, to think deeply about not just what I'm doing as a surgeon, but the life that the person is living. Hmm. And, you know, I think there's something hmm. about when, when you're taking a, surge, a patient to, to surgery, I mean, they are entrusting you with so much. I mean, you know, I recently had surgery and I had to, to, to witness this experience as well. It's like, it's a surrender, right? And, you know, you are basically saying to yourself, okay, um, here's my life. Please take it and, and take care of me. I, I feel like I understand that process better, the sort of empathy involved in understanding that because of music. I'm thinking about these things that are very much, I think, more humanistic than technical. You said that, you know, you sort of stratify people who listen to music, um, people who may play music. And, and I guess maybe, maybe your voice is an instrument, too. I mean, singing, does, does that count? And Absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, that's everyone's instrument, right? Every, everyone has, it's probably the first instrument. And the first because instrument. It's, yeah, it's, it's so democratizing because everybody has access to it. I think singing is incredibly beneficial and cathartic. Um, you know, I don't know if you've ever done uh, karaoke, but uh, hopefully one day you and I will do karaoke together because I, I think there's, it's just such a cathartic thing. If you're not a singer, to sing in public is truly a remarkable experience. You know, I, I have to tell you that my my parents are, are, are big into karaoke. <laughs> and uh, by the way, I, I learned this the other day, you know this, I'm sure, but karaoke means empty orchestra in Japanese. Yes. That's the translation. 
But they they are, you know, I'm Indian. My parents are Indian immigrants and uh, engineers their whole life and, and very much engineers in terms of their personality and everything. When they retired, Charles, um, a few years ago, several years ago, they they they, they always listened to music, um, but they started singing. And I, I couldn't believe my eyes or my ears at first when I saw my dad up there belting out karaoke. And he does it without a trace of inhibition. I mean, I don't know that I could do it because I still have, you know, too many, you know, inhibitions probably, or I feel too silly maybe. But it, it is it is incredible. And, you know, I've always thought, hey, they're enjoying it. So that alone is, is enough of a reason to just keep doing it. But but it does seem to have an impact on their on their brains, their memories, their their sort of energy around those things. Yeah, I think there's a ton of endorphins and you know well-being neurotransmitters that are being released. That that's why they do that. they they do it because it feels good. They're they're laughing, they're smiling. Yeah. There's a certain joy to it. And you know, I would say that when I play music and it's going well, in a way, there's nothing that can approach that feeling. There's a, there's a certain um, it's like a, a form of joy and peace and just satisfaction that it's so deep, it's so profound. Um, that very few experiences in the world, I think, can can give me that. And singing as a you know, there's almost a comedic aspect of it when you're an amateur, right? You know, like you you watch them, like and 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 that's part of the joy. It's like hmm. the 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 ridiculousness of the proposition and the fact that it doesn't matter how good you are; it just matters that you're doing it. That to me is part of what's so um, I think beneficial or therapeutic about it is that you did it. You stood up and you grabbed the microphone. And you started singing. And actually, there's nothing funnier than watching someone who's hesitant to do this after their first song, they're like grabbing the mic and say, Hey, give me that, give me that back. You know, I want to pick another one. <laughs> right. Give me the microphone over and over again. <laughs> I would like that, by the way, we should definitely do karaoke if, if we, uh, when we get together. Noted. Yes, absolutely. Let's do it. I really do find that so interesting. This idea of shutting off that self-conscious self-monitoring side of your brain and really allowing your walls to come down. So after the break, Charles and I are going to put our own creativity to the test. This isn't going to be anything like too professional, guys. So, oh, the, yeah, I'm, 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 hopefully this can be edited out later, too. <laughs> <laughs> we can substitute Eminem in or something like Let that. Let me think about this. Uh... And now back to Chasing Life. You know, I think I think the time we were together, maybe back over a decade ago, I think you, you at some point during our conversation, you uh, we didn't do karaoke, but I think we started sort of doing a little freestyle rapping, which was a lot of fun. And also, you know, again, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm I I have a hard time sometimes being vulnerable. You know, I, I feel silly, but maybe maybe we could try. You know, just just something here. I I'll I'll, I'll start something. Maybe 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 uh, you said it's it's twelve. 12 bars, right? I, oh, know. no, don't, don't worry. I think at this at this level of freestyle, we shouldn't worry about rules. Okay, all right. That's, yeah. In okay. fact, it doesn't even matter if it rhymes, really, but usually the, usually the sort of like, okay. you know, one of, the, one of the hallmarks of it is that there's a rhyme involved. It, it doesn't have to be an exact rhyme. It can be an inexact rhyme. Let me think about this. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, you can't. That's actually okay, the thing yeah, you okay, can't. I won't think, I won't think, I won't think. Okay, okay all right, ready? Here, here we go. Um, Charles, I love the brain. And you love the years. We both love music. It helps overcome our fears. Wow, that's like poetry. <laughs> it even rhymes. 
<laughs> wow, Sanjay, to hear you rap, that's something that I thought would sound like crap. <laughs> but yet, when I, heard, when I heard you spin those words, suddenly I thought, huh, he can really... See, I lost it. I, I, I like started that. thinking, what rhymes with words? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, music makes us remember things we had lost. It's an exercise for the brain. Comes at no cost. Ah, nice. Right, right. I mean, yes. We all have. We all have yeah, an you're instrument. You're good at this. I, I, yeah, absolutely. I, I don't. I don't. I don't know that I'm um, good at it as much as the fact that you enable it for me. I mean, I don't think that um, maybe in our lives we freestyle enough. You know, I, I, I think uh, you know. Again, as surgeons, I think so much of literally medical school is A B C when you're doing trauma, right? Airway, breathing, circulation. I mean, everything is 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 it's so defined and you're not, you're not supposed to freestyle. It's, it's, it's frowned upon. So I think when I was hanging out with you, another surgeon and you're saying, yeah, you know what, man, it's, it's okay. Uh, I found it quite liberating actually. You know, if, if you've ever spent time with a freestyler, it's really, really mind blowing. (laughs) And so that's what I think is so, so interesting about it is that you realize like, oh, wow. Like, Genius comes in all forms. It doesn't require a high-level schooling or education to actually like strike you as a media genius, right? Some of the like I think most authentic versions of of art or folk art or street art is the most amazing version of genius that you could could ever see. I really have such tremendous respect for improvisational artists. I mean, just witnessing those different parts of the brain both being activated and inhibited in real time. That's what's so remarkable to watch. And that's also what gets me back to jazz musician Ron Blake, who improvised for us earlier. I wanted him to share his thoughts on jazz. That's a form of music built on adaptation and bringing people's different experiences to life. I don't like labels so much anymore. Um, that's one of the things that's you know I've, I've learned over the years. You know, jazz, for lack of a, a better word, is trying to describe an all-encompassing music Um of the black experience primarily, but also all musical experiences. I think many black musicians had to prove themselves because they were not given opportunities that others were in this country. Um, Jazz or the musicians that play this music, for the most part, they aspire to a level, a high level of creativity in artistry, which includes improvisation, interpretation of harmony and concepts or sounds in music and adapting them in a way that works. We talked about this flow state earlier, a mentality where the rest of the world fades away and you're left with just the music. For Ron and for a lot of us, it's that feeling of getting in the zone. I sort of lose touch with the need to um, be aware of time. I'm listening to everything that's going on around me. I'm aware of the energy that's coming from the audience to be able to just look out and sense that they hear what you're saying. Being in the zone, being uh, really comfortable and trusting that you're going to be able to get your point across. The spirit of adventure never leaves the room. That's not something that's on automatic pilot. Although we, as musicians and improvisers, 90% of what you hear us play, we've practiced at some point. 
It's just how we choose to use it in the context of what's going on. You get to a point where when you're in the zone that you just want to make something that feels good, sounds good. And that requires a level of trust that goes beyond doing what you know all the time. You just have to go out there and just jump off the cliff sometimes or all the time, preferably. Now, if you're like me, the idea of jumping off a cliff into the unknown is a bit intimidating. But Ron doesn't let that stop him. In fact, he says experiencing the unknown has made him not only a better musician, but a better person. I try to be more inclusive. I try to be more adaptable. One thing I do know from the experience of trying to be a better improviser all these years is that I try to listen more to people. It really is simple, but it it, it goes beyond that point of having um, these fixed notions that life is this way, you know? And being an improvising musician has definitely taught me that there's a lot more to living than the things I know. It is really refreshing to hear Ron's perspective on life, how we should all listen more, communicate, and yeah, sometimes just go with the flow. So what are some steps that can help us reap the rewards of improvisation? Well, here's tip number one from Dr. Charles Lim. Don't take improv too seriously. Don't put it on a pedestal. Everybody improvises all day long. Who goes in with a memorized conversation in mind, right? Every, everything you do is, is unscripted all day long. You're improvising your way through your day. You're driving. When you commute to work, you're improvising your way on the highway. Like That is just a part of being human. In fact, it's an essential human behavior without which we probably would not have survived as a species. Tip number two, put on a beat, let loose, and try creating something from scratch. Try it. Get a drum beat out and try to generate some rhymes and see how it sounds to you. When you do it, it, you will instantly feel that change in your shift where you're more self-conscious and you realize, oh, like, I'm not comfortable. And then as you start doing it, you sort of start to let go and you realize, oh, I think I understand the feel of it. And then if if it's not rap or rhymes that you're into, Compose a melody, right? Like if you've never generated something new as a melody, do it by do it by humming. I mean, I think there's a real beauty to this idea that it doesn't have to be high-level art to be relevant art for yourself. Tip number three. This one's from Ron. Practice flexibility. If you're going to be more flexible in your your lifestyle and embracing of other things, you have to practice that as well. And I think that that's one of the things that improvisation has taught me. You know, I've, I've, I spend a lot of time working on the same things, but I practice them differently, or I, I find ways to create variations. And it's okay to make mistakes. My idea of success and failure has definitely been affected by my ability to um, trust that I'm gonna make mistakes in the moment, and I can make the reference to cooking And maybe you did put too much garlic in the dish, but maybe you know, like, oh, a little bit of lemon. And lo and behold, it tastes way better than you thought it was going to. Something else I learned was the benefit of going outside your comfort zone. Let me tell you that rap was not in any way a part of my comfort zone. I don't rap in my everyday life. But letting go of that fear that self-monitoring part of the brain that tells you, you can't do it. I felt another part of my brain take over, that creative side coming into play, and it felt really good. 
So I'm going to make a promise to myself to try to be better about letting go and not allowing my inner self-critic to take the wheel so often. Who knows? Maybe I'll get into freestyle rap. What did you learn from today's episode and how are you planning to put these tips into action? Record your thoughts as a voice memo? Email them to asksanjay at cnn.com or give us a call at 470-396-0832 and leave a message. You can also tweet me at Dr. Sanjay Gupta. That's doctor spelled D-R. We might even include your responses on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Chasing Life is a production of CNN Audio. Megan Marcus is our executive producer. Our podcast is produced by Emily Liu, Andrea Kane, Xavier Lopez, Isoke Samuel, Grace Walker, Anne Lagamayo, and Allison Park. Tommy Bazarian is our engineer. And a special thanks to Ben Tinker, Amanda Seeley, Carolyn Song, and Nadia Kunang of CNN Health, as well as Rafina Ahmad, Lindsay Abrams, and Courtney Koop from CNN Audio. And thank you to Ron Blake for sharing his musical talents with us on this episode. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.